Let's go ahead and turn in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're going to pick up in chapter 12 here, the, the very end of the book. And you can tell that chapter 13 is not there in most Bibles. That's because it doesn't exist. So we're, we're at the end of the book. Uh, we're going to wrap up the book of Ecclesiastes today. And, you know, last week in, in verses 9 and 10, if you recall, Solomon gave really kind of a description of who he was and how he put together this material. And it was painstakingly proactive in the way that he went about it. You could put it that way. And so today, he's going to give us a strong exhortation to actually respond. <laughs> and it's not like he hasn't done that throughout the book. He has. He's been, he's been encouraging us to respond to the wisdom of God's word uh, constantly. But remember when Solomon is talking about the words that he puts together, the words that he, he uh, investigated, how he crafted his words in a certain way, which is what we talked about last week. Remember that 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 gives us a perspective on this. Because anytime we come to the word of God, we, we fully recognize that we have a, a human instrument, a human author, but that, that God himself moves along, as 1 Peter 121 tells us, he moves along his servants to record the words that he wants recorded. And so although Solomon is saying, these are my words, we ultimately know that they're God's words. He, he just utilized Solomon as a tool to record his words. And first, uh, 2 Peter 121 says, for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke, and then there's this phrase, as they were moved or carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's what we have in front of us today. It's the Word of God. It's God's wisdom recorded by a a tool or an instrument by the name of Solomon. And so, obviously, if God has something to communicate to us, the desire on his part is that we would respond to it. And so we're going to kind of see that this morning. And he has a couple of examples of this in the first couple of verses, let's read verse 11 together. And the words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. And so he, Solomon clearly sees the value of what he's recording. And now he's going to describe this idea that he needs, he wants response, um, you know, the, the worst feeling as a teacher in, in anything that you teach is if you finish teaching and everyone leaves and they don't, they don't care <laughs> what they just heard. I, I had a lot of experience that when I taught math. That, that, was, that was like every day of my life, right? It's just the whole room leaves. They could give a rip about Algebra 1 when they left that building, right? So, so teachers in general, especially when they're passionate about something, something's made a difference to them. They want to see response they, because they, they believe that if people respond to the truth that they're sharing, it could change their life. It could alter their life. It could help them. In some way, Solomon's no different. And so he uses this first description, which we'll have to describe a little bit, but he says, the words of the wise are like goats. Goats are, are literally sticks with an iron point that were, that were used to prod animals. Now, most of us did not grow up on a ranch, so we don't have any clue. Here's a couple pictures of some goads. Obviously, that one on the bottom, man, that would get me moving for sure. That looks a little official. The other one's more of a, a sharp, you know, maybe a carved out stick. But the design is this. When you need to move animals, oftentimes you don't just say to animals, hey, come over here, and they come, right? You don't say, hey, hey move over a little bit. Hey, go through that chute. I remember one time I, I got caught. I don't know how I got caught doing this, but I did. I was helping my father-in-law trying to get one cow in a trailer, it took us like 45 minutes, one cow. We didn't have a goad. We had our hands and we were trying to push this thing and it would not, it would not move. And so goads are designed for exactly this. They were, they were designed, if you want to put it this way, to irritate or agitate. Now those, those typically have negative connotations, right? It's like, you know, my, my little brother, my little sister, they irritate me, they agitate me and they get, need to get out of my room kind of deal. But, but it can be a good thing when, when the word of God is the one irritating you and agitating you. You know, that's one of the benefits of coming together as believers. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 uses a similar word as to, for the benefit of gathering together because it says other believers irritate or agitate you. 
Ever been agitated by somebody at church? Don't raise your hand. You, I mean, we have. I mean, maybe not, in a, maybe not in a good way, but this is designed to be in a positive way. Like we, we encourage one another. We, we hear somebody and they're going through something and they're like trusting God. And we're thinking, man, if I was going through the same thing, I'd be freaking out, you know? I'd be selling my house and buying, you know, a, a boat or something and just getting out of here. I mean, I don't know what I would do, you know? We, we just, and so sometimes there's this agitation that's a positive thing. That's what he's talking about here, I believe. It's, it's designed to agitate, irritate, to what? To promote movement, movement, not just settled, okay, yeah, I heard a sermon or yeah, I did a Bible study and then go out and forget about it like, like it's not it has any value. See, the word of God is not designed to be that way. It's designed to poke in a good way, agitate, irritate in a good way. And so the word of God is designed to generate a response. Now, oftentimes, like you're here in Bible study and I've used this phrase too, so I'm not totally criticizing. I just don't think it captures the, the whole element there. But you've heard in Bible study, you, you observe the text, you interpret the text, and then you apply the text. And I just want to take quick issue with the word apply, because oftentimes when we hear, we got to apply the word of God, what do we think? Action. I got to go do something. I got to go do something. And oftentimes the response to the word of God, it can be an action. That, that does happen. It's not that that's not true but it can also be changing the way that you think. You've been viewing a situation at work or you've been viewing a situation in your family. You've been viewing a situation in your life and then you get exposed to something in the word of God and you realize, I I haven't been thinking about this correctly. I don't have the right perspective on this whole situation. The word of God is designed to, to elicit a response, whether it's action whether it's thinking. What about the way we feel? I mean, honestly, as we sit here today, do we think that we react to every situation in life with the right emotions? I would say raise your hand, but I, you know, nobody, nobody does. And oftentimes the word of God in a, in a timely word that we hear will challenge us, will poke us and say, you know what? We're not responding well in this situation. So the word of God is designed to elicit a response. It may be action. It may be thinking. It may be the way we feel. And you know, God's wisdom should not only provide course direction in our life, it should provide course correction. Direction and correction. In fact, when we look at the the value of the word of God in 2 Timothy 3.16, I think three of those are more negative. Rebuke, correct, instruct, and train in righteousness. And like three of those means that you're going the wrong way. You need a course correct. And see, the word of God's designed to do that if we'll take time to take it in and respond to it by faith. That's the whole goal here. And so Solomon is saying, guys, you know, I've just, I've, I've laid all this out. Now it's time, this final exhortation, God desires a response. That's how you're going to start benefiting from it. I wish I could just sleep on my Bible at night and become spiritual. I wish I could just lay my head on it. You know, maybe I could, even if I could work it out with God, I'll put it under my pillow so it's a little bit softer. I wish it would soak through that way. It doesn't work that way, right? We've got to respond by faith. We got to proactively, intentionally say, I believe that. I was wrong. This is right. I'm not going to trust my evaluation anymore. I'm going to trust what, what this word says. And this is the response that he's desiring. In fact, when we get to spirituality, it's not how much stuff you do. You know, we always think in terms, I just, just even the other day, I'm, I'm driving along. Uh, I was recognized that I had had a failure in my life in some way. I won't get into the details. I usually, I usually give too many details, probably, but, but a failure in my life in some way. And, you know, immediately my mind said, well, maybe it's because I'm not praying enough. Maybe it's because I'm not and I'm a pastor, but maybe I'm not reading my Bible enough. Immediately, I go to things that I can do, things that I can measure, things that I can increase in time. You know what my problem is? And I've said this before when we've studied through the book of Romans. My problem is simply this. In moments of my daily life, I'm not relying upon the Lord and his resources. That's my problem. I can get up at 5 a.m., but it's not going to help me at 3 p.m. unless I trust in the Lord at 3 p.m. 
And so oftentimes we make this so complicated, we start to think, well, if I just do this, and if I just do this, and if I hear one more sermon, and if I read one more book, and if I do this, and it's not to say that those aren't helpful or can't contribute. You know what I kind of like in all that stuff too? I was just kind of thinking about this this morning. You ever had a donut? And you've had a donut where, and I've seen donuts now. I mean, there's these specialty donut places. Incredible. My favorite cereal on earth is Fruity Pebbles. I don't know why, but I've always loved Fruity Pebbles. My wife makes me Fruity Pebble cakes, Fruity Pebble ice cream. I mean, I get Fruity Pebbles and I love it. I'll take more. I found a donut place that makes Fruity Pebble donuts. And it was awesome. It it, it is an awesome donut. So, I mean, take the the wonder of donuts and then put Fruity Pebbles in with it. And it's like, wow, heaven on earth, right? It's right up there with frosted lemonade, right? It's it's right on on the same par there. But you know what? You know what relationship with the Lord is like? It's like the donut. And all of these other things that we do, reading our Bible, praying, coming to church, these things that are also spoken of in the Word of God, it's like the extra benefit of toppings, right? But you got to have the donut first. Otherwise, you just got a bunch of, well, you still have fruity pebbles in my illustration, which isn't a bad thing. But otherwise, you just got toppings. You don't even have a donut. And the donut is this fellowship with the Lord on a moment-by-moment basis, relying upon him in every moment of your life. You have resources beyond your comprehension as a believer in Jesus Christ. You, You won't even be able to get to the bottom of the wealth that you possess as a believer in Jesus Christ. And yet, oftentimes, we don't take advantage of it on a day to day basis. And so the, the words of the wise are designed to prod and poke and to, to steer us in a direction so that we respond. You know, the second description that he gives is uh, about a shepherd. And he says, the words of scholars are like well driven nails given by one shepherd. And so, well driven nails, it kind of gives this imagery that it's, that it's in the wood. It's, it's stable. It's fixed. It's something that you can count on. It's unchangeable with time and um, changes in culture. And so in other words, truth and wisdom remain such throughout the passage of time. This is the other thing that Solomon wants them to know. It's, this is not going to go out of style 40 years from now. It's, it's not going to go out of style 2,000 years from now. I mean, we're sitting here now reading the book of Ecclesiastes over 2,000 years after it was written, and yet it hits home right where we're at today. And that's the reason. He's saying they're well-driven nails given by one shepherd. In fact, he says they're given by one shepherd. And this shepherd refers, I think, contextually to Solomon here. He's given these words. He's the shepherd of Israel. But indirectly, who's it referring to? Well, the, the source from which he got that wisdom. And, and the true shepherd, God himself. The other thing that's interesting is, is culturally is shepherds oftentimes would take nails and drive them into sticks to make temporary goats. So it could be just another illustration of a goat. You know, poking these animals with, with the sharp end of a nail driven through a stick. It's just kind of a, a makeshift goad. And um, so they would do this oftentimes. And one of the things that, that I think you see in all of wisdom literature is, is they, put, they put forward the way of folly and then counter, you know, contrast it with the way of wisdom. They, they, they give you two paths. It's interesting. He, Solomon doesn't give you 14 paths. It's, it's like one or the other. Way of wisdom, way of folly. And, and the other thing that probably comes out in this imagery is when you choose the way of folly, it's probably going to hurt. Nails, goads, poking you, probably not the most pleasant thing. And I had kind of mentioned this before, but I'd brought it out again. You know, Charlie Brown had it right. Stupid should hurt, right? It, we do something dumb. We, we pursue a way of folly. It should be painful at some point. And we do receive consequences. You know, Peppermint Patty What's happened to this younger generation, Charlie Brown? It all started with bicycle helmets, and now it's everyone gets a trophy. Kids don't know what it's like to feel pain when they do something stupid. Stupid should hurt. What a great theological statement from Charlie Brown. I mean, it's like, that's exactly what Solomon is saying. The way of folly, oftentimes, if you keep going that way, the, the goads and the pokes of the Word of God are, are, are going to hurt, but they're designed to redirect your course. And that's kind of the whole point. And so since God's the ultimate source of these words, they're not only final, like well-driven nails, but they should also motivate us to adjust our thinking and our response going forward. 
Um, obviously, if we know that if we turn left, we get poked, well, hopefully at some point we stop turning left. <laughs> we, we start staying on the path. That's kind of the goal. And so it's really uh, interesting because in verse 12, he says something uh, basically akin to this, that I have all I need. He, verse 12, he says, and further, my son, Solomon writing again to uh, the nation of Israel largely, be admonished by these. Of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. I like, if you've got an ESV, I like the way the ESV puts it here. It, uh, they put it, my son, be aware of anything beyond these. Be aware of any claim of wisdom beyond what's recorded here. Just be aware of anything beyond these. And then he says, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is weariness of the flesh. And so how would we summarize that? Well, I think like just to put it really direct and in summary form, don't waste your time with any other attempt to give you the wisdom, purpose, or meaning of life. Don't even waste your time. Everything you need is right here. You know, what's, what's the theme of the book of Colossians? You know, we, we, we studied that in, in the youth group. Uh, I think it was last, I mean, all my days are going together now with COVID. I think it was last year. But the theme of Colossians, and one of the things that we need to be reminded of as believers is Christ is all you need. Christ is not only uh, enough, but he's all you need. And the same can be said of the word of God. And this is really the summary of this verse here. And so the idea here is to, is to beware, okay? The, the very fact that we need this encouragement should indicate that our hearts often wander looking for something else. We, we look for quick fixes. When we need to, learn, to lose 30 pounds, we look for that pill that, that hasn't been invented on the internet yet that causes you to lose 30 pounds, right? Because we know the solution, right? Eat better, exercise. I mean, it's typically the solution. But we look for the quick fix. We look for something that's out there. We look for something in addition. We say, oh yeah, the, the word of God's good, but there's gotta be something out there that's, that's quicker, that's simpler, that's easier. And we're always, our eyes are always wandering in this way. And in this case, he's saying, beware, take guard. Don't, don't do that. Don't allow yourself to even start drifting that way mentally because there's no other wisdom out there. That's the point. Now, it's not to say that you can't draw from different areas and pick up wisdom here and there. That's not the point. But the source of wisdom has to be this. And we have to be convinced of that because oftentimes we come to the word of God and we say, well, yeah, that's a good point, but I'm gonna try this anyways. And, and, and really the way that we should responding is this is what the word of God says. I was going to try it this way, but I'm gonna go with this. I'm gonna stick with this. I'm gonna trust the Lord. I'm gonna wait on the Lord and rely upon him. And I'm gonna see him prove himself true as his word uh, cannot fail. It's, it's a trustworthy uh, truth. And so this is the kind of things that we're seeing here in this verse. You know, because of the extreme care and attention to recording godly wisdom from life's investigations, which is Solomon, um, he's saying, you don't have to go outside of this. I, I've already investigated this. I've gotten to the bottom of this. And you can stick right here with this wisdom literature. So in other words, the wisdom of God is as it's recorded in the word of God is all you'll ever need. And I'll just say this today, uh, between you and the Lord, do you believe that? I, I mean, who cares? I mean, if you tell me that you do, I don't, I mean, that's great. I mean, I would be excited to hear that. But ultimately, do you believe that? I mean, what's going on in your life today? I, I guarantee, we, I mean, I look at, I'm looking at faces. We all walk through those doors. There's something going on in our lives. Some of it might be similar to, to a person sitting next to you. Some of it might be totally different. We all got issues. We all got messes. We all have things going on mentally uh, just that we're, we're dealing with. There's a lot of things going on. But the question is this, and it really comes back to this last statement. Do you believe that what's recorded in the word of God is all you need? Are you convinced of that? Will you move forward thinking that way? Because if not, you're, you're always going to be susceptible to other things. You're going to think that your happiness in life is, is going to be dependent on who wins the election in two weeks. You're going to think that your happiness in life depends on if you get that next promotion. If you get a certain amount in your 401k, there's always going to be something that wants to take the place of Jesus Christ and the word of God, always. And so first it starts, we got to be convinced. We got to be persuaded. Yep, right here, all I need. 
And then we've got to start learning practically how do we rely upon it in our daily life? That's where the, that's where the struggles begin. Because there's often things presented in our life through trials or circumstances that want to draw us away from trusting the word of God. Start trusting our, what we see. Start trusting our own evaluations of things. And so just very important to be convinced of this because there's another pattern that many people have. And that's, they think that if they just learn one more thing, if they just read one more book, if they just hear one more sermon, and, and he says that basically that all this learning, the, I mean, let's just read it the way he says it. Uh, he says, of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. And, and Solomon says, this is all you need, but it still doesn't stop people from looking for that one extra nugget, right? Yeah, 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 I believe the word of God's all I need, but I am gonna try to find one extra nugget out here. And then I'm going to try to find one extra nugget out here. And then I'm going to try to find one extra nugget out here. And if you're anything like me, this sounds familiar in your life. This describes the way that we think oftentimes. And he's saying, don't do that. You don't even have to waste your time. Master what's here. Master what's here. In fact, these types of people oftentimes don't even make any progress. The when you, in fact, the New Testament talks about these people in 2 Timothy 3, 7 through 9. It says that they are always learning and what? Never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Always learning. And they're in spiritual quicksand because they think, if I can just learn one more thing, if I can just get better at Bible trivia, right? If I can just, you know, memorize, you know, the seven Herods in the Bible. Did you know there's seven Herods in the Bible? I mean, that's really important in your Christian life to know that, right? I mean, it's like that really came in handy last Monday afternoon for me when I had a flat tire on the road. I mean, we joke about it, but oftentimes that's the way we think. If I could just learn one more thing, learn one more thing, hear one more sermon, read one more book, memorize one more scripture. And it's like, and, and, and some of those things are good, right? Memorizing scripture is good. But the point is this, we come back, it's not always about just learning more things, actually what we need to get better at is responding to what we already know. Re- responding by faith to something that we already know. I would uh, venture to say that we probably know 10 times more than what we actually respond to in our daily life. And that might be giving you credit. We, we might know 20 times more than what we actually respond to by faith. And yet we think it's that one more nugget out there. It's that one thing we've never heard. It's that the one way that, you know, a pastor, a Bible teacher can put it, that I'll finally get it. No, we can start today with what you know. And you can say, you know what? I'm going to put my foot in the ground. I'm going to put my foot in the ground and I'm going to start believing that truth. I'm going to start responding to that truth. You know what? We need to do it in our marriages. We need to understand that the spirit of God wants to fill you with the life of Jesus Christ so that husbands, you can love your wives as Christ loves the church. Will you put your foot in the ground today and start trusting the Lord to make that a reality in your marriage? In wives, in terms of submitting or placing yourself under your husband, giving him honor and respect, whether he's worthy of it or not, many times he's not worthy. We know that. Wives aren't always worthy of love. But that's not the kind of love that we're talking about. We're talking about true love that's unconditional, that, that has no, no caveats associated with it, no conditions. And you say, I can't do that. Good, you're making progress with that statement. That's exactly the response I believe God wants from us. I can't do that. But you know who can? Jesus Christ in and through you can. He can do it. He can do it. Will we... Again, put our feet in the ground on things like that that we know and start trusting the Lord for it. Who cares if you can spell Methuselah? That's not gonna help your marriage, right? We're talking about today, what do you know? What's clear? And where can I start responding and, and, and just trusting the Lord? These are some of those areas. And, and so oftentimes we get so distracted with learning more, learning more, learning more. And it's almost got this probably makes us feel better about all the failures that we're engaged in because we're learning more. But it's, t- it's high time to stop 
just letting things that we learn just go to the wayside and start responding to them. Start enjoying them. Start benefiting from them. And, you know, this type of mindset almost paralyzes people. They, they think, oh, just one more thing. One more thing. And then one more thing. And then one more thing. And one more thing. And it just goes on and on and on. And so this is the process, I believe, of becoming a disciple. You know, one of the things about being a disciple is, is there is a lot of intake. There's a lot of learning going on. It's not that learning is bad. The problem is, is that we have to really learn it at a heart level in order to pass it on to other people. And, and so thus, if you've got quote unquote disciples that just come and, and sit and become students and take notes and then never process that information individually, they have nothing to pass on to somebody else in terms of life-giving truth. Now, they can pass along what they've learned. They can take the notebook that they filled out and they can read through that to somebody else and have them fill out a notebook. That's not discipleship. I mean, it, it could be part of a discipleship process, but discipleship, we're passing along life. We're passing along what the Lord has taught us and we're infusing that in what we're sharing with others. And that's why Jesus says that when the spirit of God indwells us permanently, it can be like a river of living waters flowing out of us. And trust me, your well is not that deep. My well's not that deep to be an ongoing river of water, but the spirit of God's well is deep. And that's what he wants to communicate. But it all starts here when we are taking in the truth, when we are responding to the word of God, then we've got something to pass on to others. When we don't do that, we've got nothing to pass on to others. And so it's just very, very important. We love learning the word of God. That's great. That's a, that's a good quality, but we need to love responding to it doubly more than just learning it. And I think that's the point here that Solomon is making. And so he, now he gets to the conclusion of the book. I love the way he, he says this. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Okay, you want to jump to the Cliff Notes conclusion? What's it all about? Here we go, right? Here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God, keep his commandments, for this is man's all. So again, he's, he's saying, you know, he's referring to listening to information. He's referring to processing the information. And now he's going to say, what do you really, really want us to listen to? Okay, you've just said we need to respond to it. Why? And he's going to give us two reasons why you and I should respond to the word of God. And he's going to say the conclusion of it has been spoken and recorded. And he's going to summarize it now with two commands. Okay, all of this you've taken in. Now here's two commands. This is how we should go forward with this information. And the very first one he's going to say is, make it your aim to fear God. Make your life centered around this aim. You know, I, I like this picture, actually. It's like, it's taking a scope. It's a, it's a very focused approach to living life. And this is the command that he gives. He says, fear God. Now, we've looked at this phrase a couple of times, but just the word fear in and of itself just means to be afraid or frightened. Okay, that's, that's the literal meaning of the word. But often the word is used in a, with a little subtle nuance to communicate reverence, to communicate profound respect. And that's what I believe that Solomon is talking about here in terms of fearing God. And so when we talk about fearing the Lord, you know, the idea communicated, I think, is, is pretty simple uh, when we start to, to think about it. It means that we're constantly aware of him. It means that we, we take him into consideration in our life. He, he is a part of the way that we think. He's the part of the way that we we solve problems. He, he is always involved in relationships with other people, in our thinking. He's always taken into consideration. And so the, the idea in terms of where your motive is, is this, is simply this. And I think this kind of falls into fearing with the Lord. Desire to do, the th- do things the way that he would want them done. Desire to think the way that he would want you to think. Desire to feel the way that he would want you to feel, desire to speak the way that he would want you to speak. Pretty simple, right? Just taking that into consideration. And I'll tell you what, anybody here that's ever been in a romantic relationship that, that's led to marriage, you know exactly what this looks like because you did it with your spouse. That's, that's how you courted her or him. There was a point in my life where if I wanted to wake up at five o'clock and blare music in my house, and walk around and do things. I just did it. And if I wanted to go get up at five o'clock and go for a run, 
I just did it. Now, that didn't happen very often, even when I was in sports. I'm not a big runner, right? But if, but if I wanted to do it, I could do it. If I wanted to go to the gym at 6 a.m., I could do it. If I wanted to go into work early at 5 a.m., I could do it. If I wanted to, to, to travel out of town for the weekend at a moment's notice, I could do it. You know when that changed for me? When I started dating Carrie. And, and I began to consider my schedule with her schedule. We got married, and, and I didn't just say, oh, yeah, I'm going to have a buddy over for dinner tonight. Oh, by the way, Carrie, fix another plate. I mean, I think I tried that a couple times. It didn't work out too well. But what, but what was I to do? I was to say, hey, Carrie, I'm thinking about having so-and-so over. What do you think about that? Would that be, would that be okay? And, and I began to consider her. Now, she's smiling at me right now because there was an appointment this week where I didn't do that, so I'm still learning, right? Um, but that's how it should work. Everything that I'm doing in consideration with her, you know, even as we raise the kids, I don't, I don't just jump out and discipline the kids or announce some punishment. Oftentimes we discuss before those things happen. There's a consideration that goes into being married. We're not just two individual rockets going any way we desire. We're, we're, we're in a three-legged race, right? So I got to kind of know what she's doing. So know how quickly or how slowly to move my leg. This is, this is the point of fearing the Lord. This is kind of the, the imagery that we're bringing back. When you step out in life, are you considering the Lord in everything that you do say, think, feel, schedule how you prioritize your time, what you want to do with your free time? All of these things are encompassed, I believe in this phrase, fearing the Lord. This is what Solomon is talking about. And guess what? If you walk and live this way in the fear of the Lord, guess what's going to happen? You're going to be in fellowship with them. That's what fellowship is. It's together. It's speaking. It's, it's communicating. It's spending time with somebody. That's what fellowship is. And so in our thoughts and our words and our actions, everything that we do, think or feel or say, and this is what walking in the fear of the Lord is. And life under the sun, and this is just, a, I think, a, a very pertinent point. It's improperly lived if you don't live this way. It's not lived well. It's just an improper way to live your life on earth when you don't take this into consideration. This is why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says what? In all your ways, do what? Acknowledge him. Take him into consideration. Just, just be aware of walking in the fear of the Lord. The second command he gives is to keep his commandments. Now, now keep oftentimes in our mind, when we see this in the word of God, it happens in the New Testament. John uses this uh, this phrase a lot, keep his commandments, we automatically think of obey, right? We say, oh, keep, that means obey. And I would like to just challenge that thinking. I, I think keep is a layer back from obedience. Obedience is the end goal. I'm not saying obedience isn't, but I'm saying keep is he's emphasizing that step before full obedience. What am, why do I say that? Well, the word keep means to cause a state or condition to remain. And this is what I'm bringing out, what I'd like to bring out here. It can mean to guard, to watch, or to protect and secure. It was used of a jail warden guarding, keeping his prisoner. Okay, The idea is that he kept his eye on the prisoner so that they weren't picking the lock right, to get out kept his eye on him. He guarded him. He made sure he wasn't going anywhere. And why? Because there was some value associated about keeping this criminal behind bars. And so that's the imagery that we have here. And God's commandments are to be guarded. They're to be valued. They're to be considered. We're to keep our eyes on them in our lives under the sun. This is what I believe Solomon is getting at here. And so here's a challenging question for us. How often, and just think about just even the last week, how often has the word of God shaped your thinking? How often has the word of God affected the choices that you make? How often has the word of God in the last two weeks impacted your schedule? How you prioritize things? Does any of that even come to mind? And you're like, oh man, I, I mean, there's days in my life where I go to bed and I'm like, oh my, oh my, I haven't even, I haven't even talked to God all day. I haven't even thought about God. All day. My day's been so busy. I've been running this kid here, doing this, doing this yard work. I mean, just bing, bing, bing. God hasn't even been part of my thinking. He hasn't even entered my mind. Maybe you've had days like that, but this is what Solomon's encouragement is. Hey, you've got these words of wisdom. Start responding to it. Start valuing it. See 
the value of these things in your life as you carry these out. Now, both of these commands, I, I think they seem reasonable. Um, I think they seem good. But you know, why do these two commands, this is a great question, I think, just in terms of Bible study, why do these two commands summarize what we've read uh, in Ecclesiastes? Why do they summarize the message or the response? And he's going to give us two reasons to close out the book. Why these two commands are so significant to summarize our response to everything that we've read. The first one's positive, and the second one's more negative. And so the first reason, positive, found in verse 13, he says, for this is man's all. And what you're going to notice, go, go to the end of verse 13 in your Bibles. Notice the word for, and then notice the very first word of verse 14, for. Those, those are our two reasons. Okay, that's, he's explaining further why these two commands summarize our response. And so that first reason for, um, again, expands on this reasoning. And simply put, fearing God, keeping his commands are, are man's all. Meaning what? That the totality of man's life and his whole reason for existing is found in responding this way to his truth. You know, I, we can't really probably put it um, any clearer than this next phrase. When it comes down to this, your life is here. You exist for one reason. And it's not to, to win the Super Bowl for the Atlanta Falcons. It's not to build your business empire and build wealth for your family for multiple generations. It's none of those, it's none of those things. In, insert your thought on the reason you're here, the reason you are here, the reason you exist, the reason that you have breath in your lungs today is for God's glory. It's to bring God's glory. This is what life is all about. And you know what? If we could stop and take our eyes off of ourselves for a moment and recognize this truth, it will revolutionize your life. It'll give you purpose. It'll give you meaning. It'll give you value in everything that you decide to do on a day-to-day basis when life is lived through this lens with this mindset. This is why fearing God and keeping or valuing his commandments, this is why it's, it's, it's your life. This is why Paul says for me to live is what? More money in the bank. For me to live is advancing my career and building my 401k. For me to live is to have a big family right? Let's, let's throw some other neutral things in there. No, for me to live is what? Jesus Christ. That's why we live. And, and it's brought out so well right here. And by the way, not only is that the way God has designed us to live, not only is that true, but guess what? If you do it that way, you're going to enjoy it in the process. Man, win-win. Sign me up for that kind of life. We actually bring God glory, my creator glory, and I actually get to enjoy life in the process. Man, I'm in, right? I'll, I'll invest in that. That just seems like, where's the loss there? What, why is that a bad deal? There's no bad deal with that. That's the whole point of this. And this is why I, I read it when we you know, started the book of Ecclesiastes uh, about a year ago. Augustine's quote is just, uh, has been something that I've thought about often, but I just, I just love it here. He's talking, he's writing, and he's talking to the Lord. He says, you stir man to take pleasure in praising you because you have made us for yourself. And then this next phrase, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. That's a great summary of the book of Ecclesiastes. And yet there'll be some that leave today and they'll go on with their restless lives because although they know this truth, they will decide not to respond to it. And that's the point. So this is one of the reasons. This is the positive reason. Why should I fear God and keep his commandments? Because it's what your life is designed to do. You are designed for this. And so it's very important. What's the negative reasons? Well, God's going to ultimately judge. We find this in verse 14. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. And so we see the second reason is negative. Again, that, that word for indicating that he's, he's explaining it further. And, and there's a negative judgment associated with 
um, living life apart from being in fellowship with the Lord, choosing the way of folly, um, if you will. And he says that he's going to bring every work into judgment. Uh, It's an interesting phrase because it's talking about every expenditure of our energy, every uh, deed that we do, whether whether it's God-honoring or self-pleasing, all of that's going to be evaluated. Wow, and if you're anything like me, you're just you're running through your mind like this catalog of things that you've done in your life. And you're like, oh my goodness, that's gonna be an embarrassing day. That that might be tough. It might be a tough day to go through that. And, and not only that, look at the look at the end of that verse, including every secret thing. Like like things that nobody's ever seen about you. I always find it interesting at this time of year, politics, and it's like all these skeletons start coming out of the closet. Isn't it incredible? All these skeletons. And yet we have skeletons in the closet too, many of us. Maybe not on, on par with the, the politicians of the day. Maybe not similar, but in terms of if we got into your thought life, man, some pretty embarrassing things going on there for many of us over the years. And so the point is this. There's value in fearing the Lord and valuing his, uh, there's value in fearing God and then walking and valuing his commandments because uh, this is going to keep us more in line and in fellowship with him. And so that the things we do hopefully will be God honoring, hopefully will bring God glory. And so it'll be a time of rejoicing as he evaluates those works because they're gonna bring him glory. Now, let's just talk about this, this idea of God bringing every work into judgment because really I think we wanna split up the, the categories here. And the first category I want to look at is, is the unbeliever. Those who have never put their faith in Jesus Christ. Those who are not convinced that what he did was enough. You know, there's a lot of religious people, they, love, they like Jesus Christ. I mean, they don't have a problem with what he did 2,000 years ago. I mean, they, they like it. They value it. They just have never put their faith in what he did for them alone. They're still hedging their bets with religion. Like, oh yeah, I like Jesus, but you know, you still got to do this, this, and this. That's not the biblical method of salvation. God doesn't want you hedging your bets. He wants you to trust in Christ alone. And so many unbelievers will not ever put their trust in Jesus Christ alone. Now, when, were there, when will their works be evaluated? Well, Revelation 20, if you want to write that down, Revelation 20 verses 11 through 15, unbelievers are going to have their works evaluated at the great white throne judgment. Now, it's really interesting because that's exactly what the text says in Revelation 20, that God's going to pull out books They're going to look at their works. He's going to evaluate them. What is God evaluating their works for? Wait a minute. I thought good works couldn't get you to heaven. That's exactly when he's going to prove that point to the full. He's going to give every unbeliever a fair trial, a fair shot, and then he's just going to stack evidence in that trial and showing that they don't have the righteousness needed to get to heaven. Man, that's sad, isn't it? And, you know, I can just imagine, too, because Isaiah 64, 6 is all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. And I can just imagine somebody showing up at the great white throne judgment, a life of philanthropy, a life of good works, reaching into the back pocket and say, yeah, I can't wait to put my evidence down. This is going to get me off. This is going to get me to heaven. They reach in their back pocket to put the evidence down and boom, they drop a pile of filthy rags because that's what it's going to be in the courtroom of God. It's going to be worthless. And then on top of those deeds that are filthy rags, then the sinful deeds that they've committed that they know aren't good. And you can just see this mount of evidence stacking against them. That's why when you get to the great white throne judgment, nobody makes it out uh, with an innocent verdict. They're all cast into the lake of fire. And you know what's tragic about that? They're not going, they're not going to go to the lake of fire because they've committed some atrocious sin. And we talk about that a lot, you know, so, uh, just even in, and I'm going to go off the rails just for a second, but, but just even when I have conversations with people and they say, well, well, I'm homosexual. Do you think I'm going to go to hell? And you know what I love? You know what I love responding? I love that question because I love the truth of the word of God that allows me to respond this way. Homosexuality never sent anybody to hell. I don't know where you heard that. That's not what the Bible teaches. And they're like, whoa, legs cut from out from under him because they're ready to fight me on homosexuality. I'm not here to fight on a specific sin. I want to know what are you going to do with Jesus Christ? I want to know what you're going to do. I, okay, homosexuality aside here, have you ever told a lie? Okay, you need a savior, period. 
All right, let's just leave that off the table. You still need a savior. Anybody in this world needs a savior because when they get to this judgment, nobody's gonna come out impressing God with their righteousness or their righteous level of living. So God is going to evaluate their works. Remember again, believers, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, this is one of the benefits of the gospel. You get his righteousness. The righteousness you could never achieve on your, on your own, he provides for you. That's the beauty of the gospel. How does God do that? Well, the moment you put your faith in Christ, he puts you in Jesus Christ. So you become the righteousness of God in him, 2 Corinthians 5.21. It's just a beautiful message. God took care of it all. What about believers? When will believers' works be evaluated? Well, they'll be evaluated at the judgment seat of Christ, the, the bema, as it's, as it's pronounced um, in the Greek. And what is he evaluating? Excuse me, what is he evaluating there? Everything there is a good work at that judgment. These are believers in Jesus Christ. The foundation's been laid, 1 Corinthians 3.11. The foundation of Jesus Christ has been made when they put their faith in Christ. So he's evaluating their good works after the moment they got saved. And what is he evaluating good works for? If they're all good works, he's evaluating the source from which those good works were done. Were they done by the source of the Spirit of God or were they done according to the flesh? You know, believers can do good works with wrong motives. We can do good works with with, with trying to get all the glory and self-praise by doing them. So there's lots of things that won't be acceptable or be evaluated as acceptable before the Lord. Now, remember, no believer can lose their salvation, but they can lose something at this judgment. What can they lose? Reward. That's what they can lose. They don't lose salvation. In fact, 1 Corinthians 3.15 is pretty clear. It says that even if all, everything's burned up, they themselves will be saved. So it's not, not taking into account uh, their, their salvation. We're gonna spend a lot more time starting in January looking at the eternal security of the believer. We're gonna do a topical series on that for eight or nine weeks. So again, this is the reasoning, these two things as to why Solomon concludes with fearing the Lord and keeping his commandments. The point is this, how we live our lives will be evaluated, and it's going to be very important. So there's a reason to respond. There's going to be um, opportunities to either benefit from that or lose something from the way that we choose to live. And so I had kind of mentioned this. This is God's full evaluation, every secret, every secret thing. Let me just provide some closing thoughts to the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, just, to, just four, really quickly. And the first thought is this, as we kind of conclude this book. There... There is a vanity of things. I should have put things in parentheses. There's a vanity of things. And one of the things that the book of Ecclesiastes did, I think one of the services, is it just put into perspective um, things that this world offers to meet the deepest needs of our heart as, as faulty. And, and, and the book of Ecclesiastes wanted to disillusion us from trusting in things and wants us to trust in the Lord. And, and we learn that things in and of themselves cannot provide lasting meaning or happiness. But the good news of the book of Ecclesiastes is you can still enjoy things when you're in fellowship with the Lord. Fellowship with the Lord is where happiness and lasting meaning uh, happen. That's kind of where it is all put together. And you can enjoy the things along with that. Second thought, we cannot understand all of life and we need to be okay with that tension. We need to be okay that we don't understand everything, every individual scene that happens in life. We can't put that together. It needs to be okay. And so the idea is don't just have a horizontal outlook on life, have a vertical outlook, a, a, an above the sun perspective as we live life under the sun. It's Colossians 3. It's setting our mind on things above, not setting our mind on things on the earth. And sometimes the things on the earth, they don't make sense. And we got to be okay with that tension. Third thought, we need to learn from, that's called a, a palm, a, what is that called? <laughs> a palm plant, face plant, right? Where you've, you've made this big mistake. We are to learn from OPE and OPM. OPE, other people's experiences, and OPM, other people's mistakes. If all of us can say, you know what, I want to learn from somebody else's mistakes and somebody else's experience so I don't have to repeat the same harmful choices that other people have done, this is the whole point of wisdom. 
It's taking knowledge and learning how to apply it. You don't have to suffer the same consequences that your parents did through, because of their faulty decisions. You don't have to suffer the same consequences that your friend did because they made faulty decisions. You don't need to figure out that there's nothing at the end of that trail. You can watch somebody else and say, ooh, I'm not even gonna start down that trail. That's the goal of Ecclesiastes, to learn from these things. And then finally, the fourth thought there is this uh, understanding of where true joy comes from. And you know, we talk about this a lot, but I, I don't know. We just, we want joy. We're all looking for it, We're, whatever it is. And then we just, we go from one thing to the next, searching for it, joy. And yet as a believer in Jesus Christ, we got to understand that, that it, joy, is found in a person, not a thing, not a method, not a, an accomplishment, but it's found in a person. Let me close with this. This is a quote from Ravi Zacharias that I also read in the introduction, but I just think it's so pertinent here. And he says this, I'm absolutely convinced that meaninglessness does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. And we find ourselves in a culture that just pushes, pushes, pushes all sorts of different kinds of pleasure, holds it out as if that's the end goal in life. And it's always divorced from dependency on the Lord. It's always divorced from an intimate fellowship with the Lord. That's what culture pushes, pleasure without the Lord. And the book of Ecclesiastes says, the only way you can have true pleasure in life The only way your eternal destiny can be a positive one is with the Lord. That's the distinction I think we want to take away. Let's close there with a word of prayer. Lord, I do thank you for the message of this book. Just much like even James says when he writes that we need to be doers of the word, not just hearers. And uh, in terms of doing, you know, that may include actions. It may include thinking. It may include just being reminded that we can trust in you and and having that response of faith, Lord. But we want to respond to your word, Lord. We, I don't care how old we get. I don't care how wise we get. I don't care how learned we get, Lord. We need, on a day-to-day basis, everyone in this room, everyone listening, we need to learn how to respond to you in our daily life, respond to your word in the situations that come through life. And Lord, I just pray that we'd each one uh, be convinced of that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.